This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have David on from salary.com, and we'll be talking about why pay equity matters. Might, might be obvious, might not be as obvious as you think. We're going to explore it, unpack it, and I can't wait. David, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and salary.com? Absolutely, William. My name is David Turetsky. I've been in the compensation HR technology world for over 30 years, and um, I am a zealot when it comes to being able to help HR people understand and value their data and their technology in order to be able to help them be able to provide service and value to their organization and show the leaders and managers that they work with not only the value that HR can provide, but also how we can help them solve business problems. And we're going to be talking about one today called pay equity. So let's, let's, uh, let's think about a pay equity. You know, again, if you read the popular news, everyone's thinking about popular, uh, uh, you know, equity, uh, pay equity, the, the board, the C-suite, you know, HR comp, everybody's thinking about it. Uh, you know, there's the salary requirements are now being in, you know, in, in job descriptions on indeed and Google. Um, uh, so I think we've crossed over into the place where, okay, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of discourse, which is great, but what is, what are you seeing, you know, in terms of like the, the, you know, again, kind of inside the organization, we have inequities. Okay, how do we how do we ratify those those inequities? And, and I think that comment that you just made is one that organizations are finally waking up to and saying, "Yes, we understand that exists." Um, there was and has always been a reticence to be able to, um, uh, I, I guess, acknowledge right. that pay gaps do exist in our organization, and. Now that reticence has pretty much gone away because what's happened, whether you call it the great, great awakening, the great resignation, whatever it is, employees feel more empowered to be able to use their voices. And sometimes that voice says, I quit. And sometimes that voice says, I'm underpaid. Sometimes that voice says, I love working here. You guys are doing nothing wrong. But people feel empowered to say something and that's okay. As employers, as uh, company owners, as leaders, we need to take responsibility and be able to say the right thing at the right time. And that doesn't mean always saying the most popular thing. It also doesn't mean that we're saying the wrong thing um, for as far as our shareholders go. It means being able to own up to the fact that we've made mistakes in the past and we have to correct them. And so pay equity isn't a new concept. It's been around for a very long time. Um, in fact, when I graduated from uh, college in 1989, um, 
you might you might find this funny, but one of the first projects I worked on as a compensation consultant was Canada's new pay equity laws. Right? They they came out with pay equity laws in the early 1990s. Uh, and and by the way, we've had fair pay as a um, as a as a law in the U.S. for a long time too, but to the extent at which we've owned up to it, and there have been teeth or the ability for people to really sue for it, it's not really been that popular. And right. people have sued in the past for it, and they've won. But now there's this new focus on it. People are using their voices, and that leads to change. And the good news is, is that that change, I think, is here to stay. Yeah, fear, uh, especially legal fear, only gets you so far. Yes. Because <clears throat> the lawyers and the, the compliance folks are going to do risk analysis and basically say, okay, well, if everybody sues, this is what it is. That's right. Um, and, and, and again, now societal pressure is different. Yes. Uh, consumer uh, employee, consumer, you know, everything that's, ha the, that's, ha that would happen can, that can affect the brand, the stock price, et cetera. Like, okay, the, the little problem that was a kind of closeted problem off to the side that only a few people knew about. Uh, and some people, yeah, they kind of complained, but now, now it's, now it's on candidates' minds. That's right. So now it's even pushed out, not, not just to employees, it's pushed way out in the recruiting process, which is fascinating. Um, how do you, how do you, you know, how do you think comp folks should go about either explaining the inequities that are there, um, you know, compression or otherwise, whatever the inequities are, explaining those and giving a path forward for both the executives, the board and, and everyone else, but also for employees. Like I, you know, I'm thinking of like an annual report around pay equity because uh, you know you've seen that in the last couple of years with diversity and inclusion where it's just you know we we need to actually get in front of this and show people what we're doing again it's probably going to be bad news to begin with but yeah. we're going to show people where we are and and then slowly we're going to show people how we get better at this yeah and, and i agree with you it is a communication process it is a leadership process it is a culture process it is coming up with who are we? What do we stand for? What do we want not just our candidates to know? What do we want our stockholders, our owners? What do we want our consumers to know? How should they look at us? You know, what are we in the market? Who are we? What identity do we have? Do people want to come work here because of who we are and what we are? Um, and that comes from diversity of knowledge. It comes from diversity of background. It comes from a diversity of abilities, and it comes from a diversity of opinion. And so as a leadership team, as an executive team, they have to start by leading by example. Who are we? Who is the makeup? Meaning who is the public face of the company to the world? Um, for lack of a better way of saying it, if it's a bunch of white faces, white old faces that make up your board of directors and make up your executive team, you're not really showing a diverse face to the community. You're showing, you know, an, a non-diverse face. Right. And so one of the ways in which companies are changing is they're, they're changing the makeup of who leads them. They're changing their board of directors. They're changing their executive committees. And we're starting to see progress made on people of color 
and people of diverse backgrounds. Um, and by the way, this isn't just an ethnicity or race consideration. This is also, you know, do we have people who are differently abled? And right. do we have people who are uh, from an LGBTQ perspective different? And who makes us up? And how do we speak to the populations of people? How do they look at us and say, I look like them? You know, the people on the board represent me. So I want to be a part of this. And that's either, as I said before, as a consumer, as a um, employee, as a shareholder. And so the ability for a company to make themselves in the image of who they're trying to sell to, again, whether that's an employment, you know, uh, employment perspective, whether that's a consumer perspective, whatever, that will speak volumes to how we're leading by example. Um, and so I don't know if that necessarily answers your question. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, okay. it, it absolutely does because it, it helps. Again, you're, you're dealing with, you know, not just current uh, atrocities, if you will, you're dealing with historical uh, atrocities. And so as I say atrocities is pretty heavy language, but a little bit, but yeah, yeah. But the, the idea is that, okay, you're going to have to undo some things that have been done. Okay. Right. So in, in we, every HR leader and every comp professional knows this, like they, they know, they know the dark crevices of, of all of the pay inequities that, that it currently exists and historically exists and probably are uh, existing even, to, even today. What do you believe is the hardest part or aspect of kind of righting the wrongs of pay inequity? I, I think it comes from a lack of training. I think that once there's a good understanding throughout an organization about what's the leadership saying about it, what is the way in which we should be paying people, how should we be treating people, that then gets to a question you asked before about how to comp people help their stakeholders be able to make better decisions. It's not necessarily that pay is going to become fair day one. It can't. There are a lot of things you know, you call them atrocities. I'll just call them bad decisions, right? That have been made over time, right? I mean, some of them add up to atrocities, but yeah. um, but, but some of some of these are real, just really bad decisions that people have made agreeing to compensation packages they probably shouldn't have agreed to. But, well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that our recruiting, <clears throat> we have our staffing and recruiting. We have our 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 hands are bloody because historically we've looked at. If a, if a candidate comes in lower than what the budget was, quote unquote, the budget was, then we see that it, we've historically seen that as a cost savings. Yeah. But what it automatically does is creates an inequity. Oh, yeah. That we is, love it, getting we bargains, kick, right? Right. We kick the can down the road. But right. we've we've actually, I mean, I've been in rooms where people are like, hey, we, we had 180. They, they came in at 160. We, we saved $20,000. Right. And I remember celebrating, you yeah. know, the celebrate, we saved $20,000. Like we didn't right. save $20,000. No. We, we actually kicked the can down the road for someone else to deal with, uh, at a future date. And, and that's where training comes in, right? Yeah. Being able to make the right decision isn't necessarily based on cost. It's based on, can we find the right person with the right skills to fit into this team with the right culture? And be able to celebrate the fact that, yes, we hired someone that's going to be on this team for a while and that, you know, will cause the company to celebrate when the productivity of the organization gets improved, not just by saving $20,000, but 
what has happened is, is that this is what the mindset has been. And that's why I go back to compensation needs to do a good job of telling leaders, managers, recruiters, everybody who are stakeholders in the pay determination cycle, what does good mean? What is good for the company? What's good for our share price? What does good mean? Because sometimes good isn't getting the best bargain. Sometimes good is getting the best fit. Or actually, all the time, <laughs> I, I should take it back. All the time, getting the best fits better than getting a bargain. But the problem is, is that we need to do a good job as compensation folks with the recruiting people hand in hand to make better decisions by being able to find the right person for the right job at the right time you think organizationally, and we'll just use broad generalizations, who's the, within the our organization, where's where's the biggest roadblock? Because I, I, I naturally think it's the CFO, just because it's, it's you know, it's, it's money. Yeah. And so I would, I would think that they would be the one that would probably be the one that would want to hit the brakes uh, the fastest. Uh, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to assume that. Would, like, just with your experience and kind of okay, we can communicate, we can be transparent, we understand the importance of culture. Now we're going to train people. There's, there's always that some, there's, there's always a group that's cynical and pessimistic <laughs> and about the, about this, about even the need to do it. So even like just questioning it on its basis. Uh, but then, then, then the actual financial impact of it, what is, who has that been for you in your experience? I, I'm going to take the CFO off the hook for a minute and basically say that if the CFO agrees to add a headcount, then they've basically given you the right to hire the right person at the right price. Now, I could be wrong and say right. that maybe right. the CFO has told you that you have to hit a number right, right. for right. total employee costs. But, but let me take the CFO off the hook for a second and say that if the manager and the recruiter and the comp person are triangulating how much do we need to pay for the right person in this job, then I'm going to say that it's the comp person and the recruiter who need to lead the manager to say, this is, this is what it is. Yes, exactly. This is what I need to be able to fill this job in the marketplace. The See, comp person will say, I did my research, the price is 150 right? The recruiter says, well, the current market, the price is 160. Um, and, and going back to your example before, if we get this person for 140, did we really get a bargain? Then I'll tell her the answer is no. That's right. We need to tell that person, look, you might say 140. I'm telling you, we posted this job at 150 or 160. And I feel more comfortable giving you 150 because I don't want us to turn around later and go, we didn't pay you enough. And I'd rather right. there be that transparency and not this baloney of we have to be this, you know, A against B, A is the recruit and B is the manager. And we're setting them against each other from the beginning. Let's work in tandem to get them paid the right amount at the point of hire. So there's a trust issue there. So what's interesting is, is uh, and, and I, I agree actually, I think that the hiring manager establishing budget is where uh, a failure point historically. We'll just we'll just you know talk about history and not talk about things that are happening like this hour uh, and in hundreds of millions of companies uh, worldwide. Uh, when the hiring manager or the manager s establishes a budget, they typically do it without data. They just they basically say, "Here's the number." Yep. And and this is the number, and it's without comp, 
and it's without recruiting that understands the market, et cetera. And what you've kind of already kind of laid out, laid the groundwork for is like, okay, the hiring managers, the, the manager and the hiring manager should be actually the recipient of here's what, if you want that, those skills, yeah. that experience, if you want that in this market or whatever, here's what it costs. William, we did a survey that uh, pulse survey on pay transparency and how do employees in HR feel about it. Only 34% of recipients say that a manager at their company can honestly and accurately answer an employee question who says, how is my pay determined? So to your point, uh, managers don't have the data they no. need to be able to make that decision. Not only don't have the data, they, that, that, that just shouldn't be even something that they like consider. Like here's the, they should think of it like this. This is free actually for managers uh, from this perspective. Here's the skills. Here's the experiences and competencies. Now you tell me what's, what's the market? Like, what are we internally, externally? What is the market? Like, what should we be looking at? And then the, the conversation between comp and recruiting and bringing those professionals together to then say, okay, this is what we see. Okay. This is what we see. Okay. Sure. Sure. But, but, but I think it's highlighting two big problems though. One problem is comp professionals don't talk to recruiters and and they don't talk to managers and, (laughs) and that's terrible, right? Because if, if the manager is HR for the employee, right? The manager is the first line of defense before an employee goes to HR, they'll ask their manager a question. How is my pay determined? Or, you know, what is fair for me? What, what, you know, and what, what managers typically do is go, I don't know, talk to HR. Well, people rely on their manager, especially because the manager is doing their performance review. They're doing their compensation increases. They're determining their bonuses, right? And and their future on some levels. Yeah, yeah, their future, their careers. But also go back a step. They're the ones who hired you, right? And if they don't have all this data, like they're supposed to, right? Have we given the manager all of the information, all the insight, all the training, all the communications, all the listen fors, have we given them how to manage compensation? And the answer is no. And I'm gonna put this on comp people. I love you comp people, I'm one of you, I'm a brother, but we have to do a better job. And recruiters, you have to do a good job telling the managers, yeah, don't take bargains. Here's what this goes for today. The good news on the recruiting side is because of Indeed and Google prioritizing jobs that with salaries in them over jobs that don't have salaries in them, now they have an excuse. Now they actually have a legitimate reason to go Absolutely. back to comp and go back to managers and say, yeah, we, 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 you know, we can post it, but we're just not going to get the traffic. So, And, and here's another problem. We're, you know, what you're talking about now is transparency. You're talking about transparency and pay, which leads to more pay equity. Because if I know how much jobs are being paid, I'm not talking about individual people, but I'm talking about if you know how much jobs are being paid at average or at the median or whatever, at least I know based on my set of experiences, should I get paid more or should I not? Try. And if I don't, guess where I'm going to go? To what you just said, I'm going to go to Google and I'm going to go to LinkedIn. I'm going to look. I'm going to go to Salary.com and see on our on our consumer side how much should I get paid, and the answer might shock them. The answer might be 
I'm not getting paid enough, which everybody thinks. Yeah, or they might say, oh, wow. wow. Yeah, I shouldn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So the problem that I see with where pay equity is going is that companies need to decide. This is kind of like that old thinking of, you know, do we have um, uh, casual Fridays, right? Companies need to th rethink, should I allow people to talk about pay? Can, should I post ranges? Should I post how much jobs are going for? And be open about this stuff instead of thinking of it as a, a secret thing that no one can understand. It's kind of held in a box. Right. You can't see inside that box, right? Well, and worse on the recruiting side <clears throat> is it's an excuse uh, to reward people around their negotiation skills and not right. necessarily the competencies and skills that they have exactly. for the job that you're hiring for them. It's like, oh, Susie is just poor, and just she's just a poor negotiator, and so Susie gets less. And, and you know, Robert is just you know a fantastic negotiator, and so he got more. They're both software engineers. This yeah. has nothing to do with like right. the job that you're hiring for, but they're being punished right. or rewarded based on their negotiation skills. I can't tell you how many times. As a, as a compensation professional, I used to have people who'd come to me and say, hey, I saw a, and by the way, this is really old, who say, I saw something in the newspaper that talked about compensation and said that my job gets paid this. I'm not getting paid that. And I'd have to take them through how we do surveys and how we do this and how we do that. And they said, okay, well, what's, what's the range of pay? Well, I'm sorry. We can't talk about that. <laughs> We're not allowed. I'm sorry. And it, it was you a rule. You don't have the clearance. <laughs> right? Exactly. You're not, I'm sorry. You're not in the grade where I can talk about that. Uh, what grade am I in? I'm sorry. I can't tell you. <laughs> you're, 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 you keep asking questions and I can't answer any of your right. questions. It's I'm a black sorry. These are, these are double secret. So, so l last thing uh, I wanted to ask you about this is the, the impact of remote. What have you yeah. seen? Uh, in terms, of, I don't even want to assume there has been an impact of remote and pay equity, but but is is there a relationship that you've seen and that y'all have uh, noticed from some of your customers? Well, we've definitely heard about how do I pay, or we've definitely heard those questions. You know, right. how do I pay differently now that people are remote? Do I pay them for where they are or where they should be? <laughs> "Quote unquote," where they should be working from, mm -hmm. and the answer is is that we still use the location of where the job is, right? Where's the job supposed to be, right? I hired you to work at a specific location. Now, if you chose to move to a location that's remote, that's up to you, right? Um, pay is commiserate to location. So if you're now in that remote place and the, the CPI at that location is much less, I could pay you less. You know, this goes back to your negotiating skills comment right. before. Um, but what we've tended to hear in our advice is really don't make major decisions on this until and unless it becomes a big problem right. um because we've let always the, let the let the wind settle just a little bit yeah. before you make a real decision because first of all having the discussion with somebody that moved from san francisco to wyoming and the right. cost of living is down and then that 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 discussion of okay we're going to reduce your pay by you know 28 percent because of your cost of living um that never goes well Oh no, God forbid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that there's that. Um, but you know, you, you mentioned that you know location 
pay is commiserate with location. Yeah. And it, there's, there is kind of this, this quiet movement of making pay commiserate with skills. And, and, and then, then it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and, and we've always been paying for skills, right? right? Whether we've been implicitly saying or explicitly saying, we do right. pay for skills. The problem is we pay for skills in a place, right? That's right. So to your That's point right. before, if someone's working in San Francisco, they're in the San Francisco market, we've obviously paid them more because the cost of living in San Francisco is gigantic. Right. If they've one-off moved to you know uh, West Virginia, to the mountains, because they believe that that would be the place that they'd go to escape COVID, you know, okay, that's fine. But then you made a working conditions statement of agreement with that person to do that, right? right. And whether the costs of living there are lower or higher, it's really about that person and that deal you made with that person. But if you're relocating your development team from San Francisco to Wheeling, West Virginia, that's a completely different thing, right? right. There's a there's an entire process that goes on with that, which is where what you're talking about. You don't make sweeping changes. You don't make big decisions based on one-off things. You usually make them when big business decisions occur, right? We're going to relocate talent or we're going to go to an office strategy versus a remote strategy. Those are all business decisions. And with that comes policy change. It comes compensation change potentially, but there are kind of things that go alongside those things. Well, and back to your points of transparency, communications, culture, right. training. If right. you're going to make those business decisions, fantastic. Make whatever decisions are in the best interest of the of the shareholders. Exactly. But if you if you mirror that uh, with the transparency, communication, culture, and training, then you're fine. I mean, right. again, some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it, but at least you've communicated it. Um, David, I could talk to you all day, uh, <laughs> Absolutely about this topic. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you and, so much. And thanks everyone for listening to the recruiting daily podcast until next time. You've been listening to the recruiting live podcast by recruiting daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.